Well, Justine was excited. Uh, she was a busy uh, public relations rep working in New York City, but she was finally heading off on holidays. Finally got some time off to go to a family reunion in South Africa. And she was tweeting about her trip. New York to London, uh, weird German dude, you're in first class. It's 2014, get some deodorant. In a monologue as I inhale BO. Thank God for pharmaceuticals. Arriving in the UK. Chilli, cucumber sandwiches, bad teeth. Back in London. And then the last leg to Cape Town. Going to Africa. Hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding, I'm white. (laughs) Now, just hit the pause button for a moment. What do you make of that last tweet? What do you make of Justine? What is your gut reaction to that? Uh, In this series of talks about getting life, we're exploring our problem and God's solution. And we've been looking at a book of the Bible, particularly a letter uh, written by a guy called Paul, one of the earliest Christians, earliest followers of Jesus, to a group of Christians in Rome. Uh, And if you were here last week, you'll remember that Paul was explaining that people are facing God's anger and judgment for suppressing the truth about their creator and that God punishes us by letting us go. Uh, He gives us up to do the things that we want to do. And you can see it there in chapter 1, verse 28, where he writes, Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. How do you react to that? I think when you look around the world, it's kind of hard to disagree with, isn't it? You look around the world and you do see plenty of people doing evil. Whether it's gangs trafficking women through Eastern Europe and Asia, selling them into the most degrading sort of life, into a life of drug addiction and prostitution. Images of them being sold on the web for profit. There's the greed of multinational corporations who destroy the environment and rip off their workers so that the executives can take home multi-million dollar pay packages. There are people just consumed with envy about the success of others. There are husbands who beat their wives and kids women who make each other's lives miserable through gossip and slander, and kids who are just rebellious and unmanageable and leave their parents tearing their hair out, just not knowing what to do with them. There are people making unfunny, insensitive tweets. And people who not only do these things but approve of them. That's the world we live in. But that's not us, is it? I mean, that's bad people. Bad people are out there doing bad things. 
But we're nice, middle-class UWA students. We're the good guys. We're the ones who condemn that sort of behaviour. We don't approve of it. We stamp on it. Well, have a think about that for a moment. And Nicole is going to come and read us the rest of that passage. Uh, Hello, I'm Nicole and I'm going to be reading uh, Romans chapter 2 verse 1 to 16, which is on the page you possibly got. Uh, Okay. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realising that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honour and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciences are also bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Thanks, Nicole. There are bad people out there doing bad things. And we don't approve of those who practice wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. We condemn it. We're good people. Now, can you spot the flaw in that logic? Justine Sacco sent her tweet. She turned off her phone and she stepped onto an 11-hour flight to Cape Town. What she didn't know was that one of her 170 followers on Twitter had forwarded her tweet to the editor of Valleywag, a tech industry blog, and that he'd posted it to his site. And from there it took off. About three hours into her flight, completely unknown to Justine, she became the number one worldwide trend on Twitter. She had about 1.2 million retweets. And here's a few of them. How did Justine Sacco get a PR job? Her level of racist ignorance belongs on Fox News. AIDS can affect anyone. I'm an IAC employee and I don't want Justine Sacco doing any communications on our behalf ever again, ever. 
This is an outrageous, offensive comment. Employee in question currently unreachable on an international flight. That's her company. Uh, all I want for Christmas is to see Justine Sacco's face when a plane lands and she checks her inbox voicemail. Oh man, Justine Sacco is going to have the most painful phone turning on moment ever when her plane lands. We're about to watch this Justine Sacco bitch get fired in real time before she even knows she's getting fired. Justine Sacco is a bad person. And by implication, I'm not. Because <laughs> I'm condemning it, right? I'm condemning this bad person and her racist tweet. But do you see the flaw in the logic? Condemning others for the evil that they do doesn't mean that you yourself are a good person. Sure, her tweet was poorly thought out, insensitive, uh, potentially racist, unaware of the hurt that it might cause others, and literally millions of people piled in to condemn her with poorly thought out, insensitive tweets, unaware of the hurt that they might cause to her. Or, perhaps even worse, very aware of the hurt they might cause to her. She got sacked the next day. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Do you condemn human traffickers and pimps? People who degrade women and treat them like objects to make money? Good, you ought to. It's wrong. Have you ever looked at porn yourself? Do you condemn greedy CEOs who destroy the environment and rip off workers? Good, you ought to. That's wrong. They shouldn't do that. But what are you wearing? What are the electronics you've got at home or in your pocket? Were they made by well-remunerated workers? Did you ever stop to think about it? Or did you just grab the thing that was cheapest and left you with the most money? Do you condemn liars and gossips, the insolent, the arrogant and the boastful? Good, you ought to. Those things are wrong. Ever lied yourself? Ever gossiped? Ever slandered someone behind their back? Ever been boastful or arrogant? John Ronson writes in his book, So You've Been Publicly Shamed, that in those days of, uh, of social media, the collective fury felt righteous, powerful and effective. It felt as if hierarchies were being dismantled, as if justice were being democratised. As time passed, though, I watched these shame campaigns multiply to the point that they targeted not just powerful institutions and public figures, but really anyone perceived to have done anything offensive. I also began to marvel at the disconnect between the severity of the crime and the gleeful savagery of the punishment. That's the kicker, isn't it? The gleeful savagery of the punishment. We love condemning others. It's just something about human nature. And why is that? Well, partly it's because we like to see evil people punished. That appeals to our sense of justice. But there's way more going on than that, isn't there? That doesn't quite explain the glee. Condemning bad people 
appeals to our sense of envy, our sense of malice. Uh, Ronson quotes Sam Biddle, the journalist who published Justine's tweet. And Sam says, The fact that she was a PR chief made it delicious. It's satisfying to be able to say, OK, let's make a racist tweet by a senior IAC employee count this time. And it did. I'd do it again. It was delicious. And it is, isn't it? There's something very satisfying about condemning others. Envy, malice, but also the reaffirmation that we ourselves are good. I condemn a bad person, therefore I'm a good person. But while we're pointing the finger at others, there are three fingers pointing back at us. Because we do the same thing. Self-righteousness always goes hand in hand with self-delusion. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, you know, who are we to judge? There is no right and wrong. Let's just, you know, chill out and not worry about any of that kind of stuff. No, there are things that deserve condemnation. But God's point is what he says in verse 1 here. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. And the kicker comes in verses 2 to 3. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, and yet do the same things, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? If you, a mere human with all your flaws and fallibilities and limitations, can rightly perceive things that are wrong and you condemn them, do you think you'll escape God's judgment when you do the same things yourself? Is there one rule for you and one for everyone else? Do you think that you're going okay with God because he hasn't struck you down yet? In fact, he's blessed you in so many ways, hasn't he? You're here at UWA. You've got to be in the top 1%, don't you? The top 1% of the world, if not Australia. And that's the deadly, dangerous thing about moral people. In a way, moral people, morality, is far more dangerous than immorality. Because immoral people, they often know that they're bad. They know that they've got problems. But the moral people, they think they're fine. No problems with me. I condemn the bad stuff. And so they just continue through life looking down on others, never recognising their own evil, and so never repenting, just going on and on, showing contempt for God, for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realising that God's kindness is intended to lead them to repentance. Goes on. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. You can tell right from wrong, can't you? Most of the time. You think God can't? If you're disgusted by the evil of others, do you think God will not be disgusted by yours? No, verse 6. God will repay each person 
what, according to their self-image, to those who think of themselves as good and look down on others, he'll give eternal life. No, that's not what it says, is it? God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. And that's good, isn't it? That's right. Good people get glory, honour and immortality. Bad people get God's wrath and anger. That's the way it should be, isn't it? The question, though, is, which one are you? Which camp do you fall into? Are you the good or the bad? Would you describe yourself as persistent in doing good? Because when I stop and think about it, I wouldn't describe myself that way. Persistent in doing good is not a phrase I would apply to myself. Intermittent in doing good, I think that's probably true, depending on how much coffee I've had and how much sleep uh, at the time. Some days I reckon I do all right at doing good, but other days I'm grumpy with my wife and daughter, I get easily irritated, and even on my good days I'm largely self-centred. What about you? Are you persistent in doing good? Or, if you're honest, are you actually kind of self-seeking? Social psychologists talk about this thing called the fundamental attribution error, um, where I attribute others' bad behaviour to their character, but I attribute my bad behaviour to my circumstances. That is, when someone gets grumpy at me, it's because they're bad, they're a grumpy person. But when I get grumpy, it's just because I haven't had enough sleep and I need my second coffee of the day to really rev up. But the way it usually gets applied to us is the social psychologists say, look, stop attributing bad behaviour to others' character and recognise that maybe they've just had a bad day of it. Maybe they've just had a hard life. And, you know, that's a useful thing to recognise. It's good to have empathy with others. But in the end, I think that application is flawed, isn't it? Because our circumstances don't actually control how we react. You can see that because the person that I'm rude to because I find them irritating, someone else is not rude to at all. When I rant and rave because someone has just cut me off while I'm driving, they do that to someone else and that person thinks, wow, they seem to be in a rush, I hope they get there safely. It's not actually my circumstances that cause me to behave badly. They're just the triggers. It's my character. So the fundamental attribution error is right, but the application is wrong. It's not our circumstances that cause us to be bad, and deep down we're all just little beautiful butterflies. No, the problem is that we're rotten to the core. The circumstances are just the trigger that exposes my character. And what you see if you observe me over time, and I suspect what I'd see if I observed you over time, is that sometimes I do good and mostly I'm self-seeking. 
I do evil. I'm not persistent in doing good. But don't go getting self-righteous about me because you do the same thing. And that is a problem for us. Because in verse 9, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honour and peace to everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favouritism. But what he's saying is it doesn't matter whether you've been brought up Jewish and you received God's law through Moses or whether you're Gentile and you've never clapped eyes on the Torah. Completely irrelevant to this argument. Doesn't matter at all. You might never have seen a Bible in your life. Because you can see it there in verse 12. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. It doesn't matter that you were born Jewish. Uh, It doesn't matter whether you know what God has said or not. Uh, Just knowing it doesn't matter. It's, uh, It's just normal. It's like the law, isn't it? You know, imagine this. You, you finish the day at uni uh, and you're heading home at three o'clock. You're driving home and uh, you're happily doing 60 through a school zone, uh, enjoying yourself. And suddenly you see in your rear view mirror red and blue lights flashing and uh, you realise it's a police car. You pull over, you sit there waiting and the officer comes up, tap, 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 tap. Excuse me, sir. Man, do you know what speed you were doing? Oh, yes, officer, I do, actually. Um, I was doing 60, probably pushing 65, actually. Uh, Sir, ma'am, do you you realise that this is a school zone, that the limit's 40? Oh, sure, officer. Yeah, it's very clearly signposted. Thank you. (laughs) What's the officer going to say? Does he say, well, that's wonderful. Like, well, we're really glad that you know the law. Terrific. Good. Nothing more. Carry on. No, he's going to say, Sir, ma'am, could you step out of the car, please? I'm placing you under arrest for doing 20, 25 kilometres over the speed limit in a school zone. But that is outrageous. I clearly know the law. What's the problem? I might be a law student. I've learned it by heart. I know you can only do 40 in a school zone. What's the big problem? Why am I in trouble? Knowing the law isn't what counts, is it? What counts is obeying it. And it's no good pointing to all the good things that you've done. But officer, there's literally millions of people that I have not killed today. (laughs) Literally thousands of school zones that I did not speed through. You know what, officer? You shouldn't be concentrating on this kind of stuff. This is just little stuff. You should be concentrating on the murderers and uh, the armed robbers. That's not how the law works, is it? No. You break the law and you're done. But what if I've never heard the law? What if I'm Jewish? Uh, what if I'm not Jewish or Christian? What if I've never clapped eyes on a Bible? But how can God blame me for breaking laws that I didn't even know exist? He says, oh, but you don't need the law of Moses. You don't need a Bible to know that you've done things wrong. You only need a conscience, and everyone has one of them. Even sociopaths have consciences. They know what's right and wrong. 
They just don't care. That's what Paul means by verse 14. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they're a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. I think we've all got that experience, don't we? You do something good, you help a little old lady across the road, and the voice in your head says, well done, that was good. But then we've also had the experience of doing stuff that we know we shouldn't have done, don't we? And that little voice in our head says, you really shouldn't have done that. And that's Paul's point. You may not have perfect knowledge of all right and wrong, but you do know that you've done wrong sometimes, don't you? Times when you've done the very things that you condemn in others. And they may be secret things. They may be things that no one else knows about. But actually there is one person who knows about it. There's God. He knows and on the day when he calls us all before himself to judge us through Jesus Christ, it will all come out. The good, the bad and the ugly. And the question is, where will you stand on that day? John Ronson concludes uh, in the book that I quoted earlier, what's true about our fellow humans is that we are clever and stupid. We are grey areas. Uh, But the Russian author Alexander Solzhenitsyn put it better. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them, But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. He's right, isn't he? We see it in others. We can see the good and the evil in them. But it's there in us too. We're grey. The dividing line of good and evil cuts through our hearts. What's the solution to that? Trying to be less judgmental. Be more tolerant? Well, there is a place for that, for recognising that we are all evil so that we don't uh, look down on others. But actually being tolerant of evil is not a solution. Tolerance of evil is itself evil. What do you do? You try harder to be a good person. Well, you can, but you can't undo what you've already done. And the irony is that if you're a self-righteous person, the better you think you're getting, the more arrogant and contemptuous and dismissive you'll become of everyone else. Now, this is not a problem that we can get rid of ourselves. So what hope is there? Well, firstly, I think the passage says that we ought to repent. That's why God has been so kind and patient with us. He wants to lead us to repentance, to recognising our evil and rejecting it, to turning to him instead of turning in on ourselves. We ought to repent. And secondly, we actually need the judge to pardon us, don't we? But on what basis can he pardon us? It's certainly nothing to do with us because we're guilty. We've broken the law. 
We've done evil. We've done what is wrong in God's eyes. We see the evil in others and condemn it. And God sees it in us and condemns it too. Our only hope is that someone would take the condemnation that we deserve in our place. And the good news of the Bible is that that is precisely what Jesus has done. We're going to explore that more in the coming weeks. Uh, But for now, I think it's probably appropriate to confess our, uh, our evil to God and to turn to him in repentance. So what I want to do is uh, I want to pray and what I want to say is, Dear God, I'm sorry for the evil I've done, uh, for being self-seeking and rejecting the truth. Please forgive me for all the things I've done that have made you angry. Now, if that's something that you'd like to pray along with me, uh, if that's something that you recognise about yourself, then why don't you echo it in your head while, uh, while I pray it. So, let's pray. Dear God, I'm sorry for the evil that I've done, for being self-seeking and rejecting the truth. Please forgive me for all the things I've done that have made you angry.